Alright folks, welcome to Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by Superbook Sports. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. Part of the Mile High Sports Podcast Network, and I am excited to discuss the Southeast Division this time. I've decided over the course of this deep offseason to kind of vary up the content just a little bit. Uh, so I'm not necessarily going through all of the player previews that I talked about uh, this last uh, podcast when I talked about Jamal Murray. Not always going to be having a guest on and then going into the other nuances of the world. This time, uh, following up on my Northwest Division discussion last week. I'm going to talk about the Southeast. I'm going to kind of do it in a little bit of a different framing than I did the Northwest because I think people probably don't care as much about the Southeast division. We're going to kind of talk about it through the lens of the Nuggets. We're going to talk about it through the lens of how are these teams going to be impacted by the Nuggets? What are the Nuggets going to need in order to beat these teams? How did they fare last year? How is that changing this year, etc.? So should be good. Not going to be as long of a podcast as, let's say, my guest podcast, and that's okay, because it is the off-season after all, so we're going to have some fun. All right, first segment, we are going to focus on breaking down the moves by each of these Southeast Division teams. Let's go over the records here real quick, each of the teams that are in the Southwest, uh, the Southeast Division. The Atlanta Hawks, Charlotte Hornets, Miami Heat, Orlando Magic, and Washington Wizards. The Hawks went 43-39 and 39 this last year, seen as a pretty big disappointment to them. The Hornets also went 43-39. and 39. Not necessarily seen as a big disappointment, but I think they're, they're definitely in for a world of hurt this next year. The Miami Heat went 53-29. and 29. They are very impressive and continue to be impressive against most other teams, not necessarily the Nuggets. But they've been very good, and they were the number one seed in the East this last year. The Orlando Magic, they did the right thing by tanking. They went 22-60, and 60, and they got the number one pick in the draft as a result. And the Washington Wizards, never trying to tank, never trying to do the wrong thing, and yet they do the wrong thing every time. They were the 11th seed in the East once again last year. Maybe it was the 12th, I'm not really sure, but... They are a perpetual 35-win team, and that is a rough place to be in today's NBA. But the biggest offseason moves, we'll just start with the Hawks here first. Last year, like I said, they were kind of disappointing. Didn't necessarily have the defense around Trey Young in order to really succeed. So they made a couple moves to really try to impact that, the biggest one being trading three first-round picks and Danilo Gallinari for DeJounte Murray from the San Antonio Spurs. And there were a lot of people that kind of criticized this move. There were also a lot of people that thought that this was great. I kind of fall I, I fall on the latter side of that debate because I think DeJounte and Trey, they make a lot of sense together if Trey is willing to play off ball a little bit. Because Murray's a very dynamic player in his own right, and he's he's not necessarily... Like, he's not, who's a good, like, big guard. Like, he's not Luka Doncic. He's not, like, that six foot four, six foot five. And Luka's obviously bigger. I'm just talking big guards. DeJounte's a big guard. He's somebody who is going to be physical, dynamic, 
he's not like the best of the best there, but he's in the next tier down. And, and he just made his first all-star appearance this last year. And though it was kind of as like a, an injury replacement of, of sorts, I do think that he's in that tier in terms of player in the Eastern Conference. And so you make him the second option to a guy like Trey, he's going to have a lot of opportunities to impact the game. They also traded Kevin Herter for Justin Holiday and Mo Harkless. They signed Frank Kaminsky. They signed Aaron Holiday. Those are kind of end of bench depth kind of moves. But moving Kevin Herter is not necessarily great, but they do get a guy that I've always really liked in Justin Holiday. And then Mo Harkless has been floating around the league as the, the prototypical small forward sized player who's not actually really good at basketball. But Justin Holiday should be very helpful for them, somebody who's going to be very functional in a lot of cases where last year they didn't have functional depth, especially on the wing. So I think the Hawks are going to be better. I think there's there's no doubt in my mind, actually, that the Hawks are going to be better. The only question is to what degree, how much better are they going to be? And there are a lot of reasons to think that they could be at least a 50-win team next year. So we will see what that ultimately transitions into. But let's talk about the Hornets now. The Miles Bridges situation is still pending. It's likely that he will never be back in the NBA, which is a good thing for the NBA. And that really screws with the Hornets at this point. They also traded for Montrez Harrell last year. He's on. He was on an expiring contract. And then he was also arrested and is very much his career is very much in doubt. So I am very curious to see how the Hornets really respond to this. They basically, they had two rotation players, one of which was a big time starter for them and they just are gone and they didn't really functionally replace those guys. They re-signed Cody Martin, but but that's basically all they've done. They did trade for Mark Williams or no, they didn't trade for him. They drafted Mark Williams. And then I think they traded a pick at the draft, but for the most part, they did nothing. And they were a team that already kind of disappointed last year secretly. And I think that they're kind of go that way just a little bit this next year too. Lamella Ball, he's one player. He's also kind of a little overrated for sure in terms of the actual impact that he's having on the game. And a guy like Miles Bridges for them who played, what, 2,500 minutes or something like that? Just take those minutes away, and now they're being played by somebody else who's worse. Whether it's Cody Martin, whether it's Kelly Oubre, uh, it looks like they're going to probably have to start P.J. Washington in his place. And though P.J. Washington is good, it makes their bench worse. So I'm very curious to see what they look like. I think that they're going to look really bad. Next up, you've got the Heat. The Heat, they lost P.J. Tucker to Philly. They still haven't really replaced him yet. He was a very big deal for their team and and one of the only functional kind of forward defenders that they had on the roster. And now I'm curious to see how they replace him and whether they're actually going to be able to. But they did re-sign Caleb Martin, not to be confused with Cody Martin, both of which the twins were re-signed by their respective teams. I'd actually expect Caleb Martin to start for them this year. But that's neither here nor there. They haven't extended Tyler Hero yet, and they are trying to keep him trade eligible. They're still kind of holding out hope for that 
Kevin Durant or Donovan Mitchell trade. Whether those manifest or not, I think remains to be seen, but I would probably say that they are not going to get those guys. They don't have the assets in order to really make the best offer. So unless the Knicks and the uh, the Suns and the Toronto Raptors and teams like that, if, if they shortchange their offers, then maybe the, the Heat are willing to kind of sell out and, and do what they always do, which is just acquire the best player they possibly can. But I would definitely default to they're probably bringing back most of the same guys. So what is that level of team? You're probably looking at a top four seed in the East still, maybe four to six. They were first last year, but I think the Sixers are probably going to pass them. I would say the Celtics are probably going to pass them. And it's possible that the Bucks pass them. The Bucks dealt with a lot of injury issues last year, especially to Brooke Lopez for most of the year. He was functionally different in terms of the amount of um, the amount that he was actually able to contribute in the regular season. Brooke Lopez would be a massive help to the Bucks, and it just seems to me like PJ Tucker, who was a massive help to the Miami Heat, him being gone is going to swing a couple games at least for them. So I would expect them to probably win about fifty games next year. They'll still be good, but they're probably not going to be better. And then the Magic. we got the Magic and the Wizards left. Sorry, I got a little confused there. The Magic, as we know, they drafted Paolo Bancaro in, with the first overall pick this last, this last draft. And they've been bad for these last couple years, especially after moving Aaron Gordon and Nikola Vucevic. They needed to recover. They needed to really tank. And it's very possible that they're going to have a quick turnaround here because last year they got back Markel Fultz midseason, and he was mostly a bench player for them, but he functionally helped their bench where they were really struggling with their bench unit. He turned it into a unit that was actually a positive down the stretch. And so you never want to fully overvalue small sample sizes, but it looked like the Magic were a functional team, especially at the end of the season last year. Gary Harris was a part of that. Terrence Ross, not necessarily as much a part of that, but Franz Wagner was very good. Uh, Jalen Suggs started figuring some things out, though not that much. It seems to me like when you add a talent like Paolo, it might kind of round their roster together a little bit. They're also planning on getting back Jonathan Isaac. And whether that's actually a, a help or a hindrance remains to be seen, but I do think that they're a talented team. There's a lot of reason to think that the Magic are going to have a quick turnaround. And if you believe in Paolo Bancaro, you believe in Jalen Suggs as kind of the fifth overall pick last year. Franz Wagner is going to get better. No reason to think that he won't be a solid starter going forward. There's a reason to believe in the Orlando Magic. And then you've got the Wizards. As you know, they traded Contavious Caldwell Pope and Ish Smith to the Nuggets for Monte Morris and Will Barton. Monte's going to start for them, guaranteed. Will, I'm not necessarily sure about. It's possible that he starts, but he would have to start at the three because Bradley Beal's going to be at the two. They signed DeLon Wright. They drafted Johnny Davis. Another shooting guard. 
they gave Bradley Beal a supermax with a no trade clause for some reason. And that's been made a kind of a bit to do by the the community of people that uh, really evaluate transactions. It seems like a terrible idea to give Bradley Beal a full no trade clause because there have been very few of those given out in NBA history. And most of those are to the best of the best players. And Bradley Beal's just not that. He missed the All-Star game this last year, dealt with some injuries, really regressed after what was a fantastic couple of years of kind of being the lead dog uh, in place of John Wall. But to me, it looks like the Wizards are doing the same thing. They traded for a couple of helpful pieces in Monte Morris and Will Barton. They signed a guy like DeLon Wright, like I said. And those guys are going to help raise their floor because they're going to be more functional than some younger guys with higher potential. But it does seem to me like, like what's the plan? What's the point? The Wizards are going to be perpetually a 35-win team. And shooting for that is just never a good idea unless you just don't care about winning. It doesn't look like they care about winning to me, so it's tough. Like I, I don't really know what to say about them. They've got some really good pieces, and we'll talk about the rotation in the next segment, but I am definitely surprised that they've gone this route. It feels like they were ripe for a full rebuild, and they've instead leaned in harder. Let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to discuss how the Nuggets specifically match up with each of these teams. But first, this podcast, as you know, it's brought to you by Superbook Sports. Summer is here and there's no better time to make your first bet with Superbook. Along with its usual vast betting menu, Superbook already has a lineup for every pro football game this fall. Plus, when you make your first deposit on the Superbook app or sign up at Superbook.com, they'll match 100% of your money up to $500. It's never too early to start thinking about football at Superbook Sports. Place your bet. Start winning today. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem call 1-800-522-4700. All right, we're back. Big Axon Roll, Ryan Blackburn here. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Appreciate all the love and support on the podcast, as always. We're back going over some of these divisional teams, and the reason why I'm doing this, I know I mentioned it briefly at the beginning of this podcast, but we don't necessarily get a lot of time during the season to talk about these individual teams. And I do have takes on a lot of these teams, and those takes will sometimes come up when the Nuggets play these teams. But I do think it's important to know what's going on around the NBA so you can kind of get a picture of, okay, so are the Nuggets better? Are they worse off? Are they run better? Are they functionally sound? And then you get kind of a a bigger picture. Because sometimes when you get just focused in on one team and their transactions, then you can either be kind of colored and say, yeah, this is definitely not good. Or you can be kind of affected by what the team says and saying, oh yeah, this is our thought process. This is our logic. And looking too closely 
at just one team, you can kind of be tied up in that. So you got to know how other teams do it in order to fully evaluate what each of these teams are doing. And so I just think it's important to, when you kind of step back and look at some of these other teams, realize that the Nuggets have been doing things pretty well. But let's keep looking at the Southeast Division. Last season, Denver went 8-2 and against the Southeast and probably should have gone 10-0, and to be honest. I looked through the individual games from last year, and the only losses that they had against the Southeast were a hangover game against the Magic after a big win against the Heat. That was the uh, drama game. It was after uh, Nikola Jokic had punched, or not punched, had like bodied Markeith Morris, basically. And this was the game where the Nuggets went back to the to face the Heat, and then they won that. It was a big deal. And the next game they played was against the Orlando Magic, and they absolutely flubbed that game. It was unbelievably funny. And then the other game that they had that they lost was a 25-point loss, or no, they, they were up by 25, excuse me, up by 25 against the Hornets at home, and they somehow blew that game. It was a couple weeks after the Magic loss, so that was a game where, uh, among other things, Faku Campazzo played the entire fourth quarter and was on the court for the entire um, comeback. It was a game where Nikola Jokic was being triple teamed in the paint, and Faku Campazzo was kind of being left on the perimeter, but Aaron Gordon, same thing, and Denver just let go of the rope. But they should have won the game because they're up by 25. Um, so let's go over these individual matchups a little bit. We'll start with Atlanta again. The starters for Atlanta, Trey Young, DeJounte Murray, DeAndre Hunter, John Collins, Clint Capella. It's a pretty good starting unit. It's a lot better defensively than what they've been running with. Because last year they had Herter in the starting unit. Sometimes they had Bogdanovich in the starting unit. Switching those guys out with DeJounte Murray, I think it makes a lot of sense. And then you have each of those individual pieces. They feel pretty functional in terms of what Trey Young needs around him in order to be a successful defense. Like That's at least good in theory. Off the bench, DeAndre or, uh, DeJounte is going to stagger. It's going to be difficult to say uh, DeJounte and DeAndre when talking about Murray and Hunter. But one of those point guards, one of those stars is definitely going to stagger with the second unit. That's, a, that's basically what the Phoenix Suns would do last year with Chris Paul and Devin Booker. But the Hawks are going to stagger their stars too. One of them is going to play next to Bogdan Bogdanovich, Justin Holiday, and, Yon- and Oneka Okongwu. Onyeka Okongwu, excuse me. Uh, and we'll see what other pieces kind of make their way into that rotation. Last year, or this past draft, the Hawks drafted A.J. Griffin, who was seen by a lot of people as a lottery pick. And they got him at 16th overall. So maybe he plays a little bit. Maybe Jalen Johnson plays a little bit, who's also seen as a lottery pick before the Hawks picked him up when he dropped. There were reasons why those guys dropped, but if the Hawks are taking those guys from a talent perspective, then maybe they see their way onto the court. But I think the key matchup here, among other things, 
it's going to be Trey versus KCP. Because Clint Capella is a matchup that Nuggets fans should feel pretty comfortable with. They understand how that's going to go. Uh, Aaron Gordon versus John Collins. MPJ versus DeAndre Hunter. I think Jamal Murray will probably, he'll have to defend one of Trey or DeJounte Murray. And so maybe Jamal defends Trey. Maybe Jamal defends DeJounte, but actually that's probably the key matchup is how does Jamal kind of function as a defender, especially if it's early in the year and he's still trying to get his legs under him because he's going to have to defend one of those guys in all likelihood. Because if you move Aaron Gordon onto one of those guys, then it means uh, Jamal's probably defending DeAndre Hunter, who's 6'8". And maybe that's better, honestly. Maybe it is good. But it is at least a question mark. And so you've got that. And it's a pretty good starting unit. Like just going uh, pound for pound against a team like Denver. Obviously, the Nuggets have the big advantage when it comes to Nikola Jokic. But Trey getting the pick and roll going with a John Collins above the rim, with a Clint Capella on offensive rebounds and things like that. That has always been a matchup that Jokic has either struggled with or teams have had success against at times. So it wouldn't surprise me if the Hawks at least split this series. Maybe the Hawks take both games. Uh, It wouldn't surprise me. But I do think that the Nuggets are a better team. It is just going to be interesting. Next, you've got the Hornets. Starters there, Lamella Ball, Terry Rozier, Gordon Hayward, P.J. Washington, Mason Plumley. A lot less scary of a group. Like you just go uh, pound for pound against the Hawks, position by position, and they might be worse across the board. Like even Gordon Hayward might be worse than DeAndre Hunter. The Hornets are going to be bad. Off the bench, they're going to stagger one of Lamella or Rozier. Let's go with Rozier here. James Buchnight, who was the ninth overall pick in the 2021 draft and did not play a lick this last year. I have no idea what to expect from him, but if the Hornets didn't play him, then it was probably for a reason. Cody Martin, who they re-signed, probably be back there. Cody Martin might even start for Gordon Hayward. Because Gordon Hayward's somebody that it's, it's hard to count on him from a health perspective. Cody Martin will be stable, at least. You've got Kelly Oubre, who will functionally play the four in those lineups in all likelihood. And then you've got Mark Williams. And they might go with a different configuration. They might decide to go. Uh, JT Thor is somebody that they like, who they drafted last year. Um, they also drafted Kai Jones. Uh, who's a center out of Texas last year. And maybe he plays over Mark Williams, who is a rookie this year. But I do think that this is just going to be a pretty easy matchup for the Nuggets. The only matchup that really concerns me is actually a small ball one, where you have Nikola Jokic versus P.J. Washington. And if Nuggets fans remember, P.J. Washington has had success against Nikola Jokic. Not necessarily from defending Nikola Jokic, because nobody has had real success there, and P.J. Washington has actually really struggled there. But on the other end, they like to run the pick and pop. They like to get Lamelo in space, Rozier in space, and then it forces Jokic to cover a lot of ground when P.J. Washington is at the top of the key. So 
Washington has had big games against Denver. He's capable of putting up 40 points. And it wouldn't surprise me if the Hornets surprise Denver going to that particular group. So we're going to see. We're going to see what the Nuggets decide to do there. It wouldn't surprise me if they decided to put Jokic on Gordon Hayward or somebody like that, as opposed to P.J. Washington. It would be kind of an admission that Denver can't defend that group, and that would be pretty bad. But it is something to watch. All right, let's talk about the Heat. This is one where Denver is actually functionally really good against a really good team. Got Kyle Lowry, Tyler Hero in the starting unit now. I'm projecting that he moves there. Caleb Martin, Jimmy Butler at the four, and Bam Adebayo. Like I mentioned before, they didn't really replace P.J. Tucker. There are very few forwards on the Miami Heat. They have some guards. They have some wings, but it's mostly guards. And then they've got Bam and they've got Dwayne Dedman as his primary backup. Off the bench, you're looking at Victor Oladipo, Max Struess, Duncan Robinson moving to the bench, Haywood Highsmith, shout out to the Low Post podcast for that name drop, and Dwayne Dedman. They've also got guys like Gabe Vincent. They drafted Nikolajovic. And I, I don't think that there's anybody major that will play after that. But it does seem to me does seem to me like they could fall off because they don't have those power forward matchups, that they don't have those big wing matchups like they did in the past. Jimmy Butler is going to have a lot of uh, pressure on him. And though he is usually up to the task, he is getting older and asking him to do more and more when he still needs to do a lot on the offensive end doesn't seem like a great idea. But they do have a lot of talented pieces. Lowry is still very good. Tyler Hero averaged 20 points per game this last year, could average more. Uh, Victor Oladipo got his sea legs back under him this last year, and maybe he's even better this upcoming year. And then Duncan Robinson is still liable, as is Max Struess, to hit seven threes in a game. So those guys are good. Key matchup for Denver is probably Jamal Murray versus Kyle Lowry. I would guess the KCP defends Tyler Hero, and then Murray defends Lowry. And then on the other end, who guards Jamal? Probably going to be Lowry. Might be Caleb Martin, maybe, but for a team like Denver, where, they have, where they're rolling out MPJ, Aaron Gordon, and Nikola Jokic, like Bam will be on Jokic, Jimmy Butler will be on one of Aaron Gordon or MPJ, Caleb Martin will probably be on the other, because Lowry or Hero on those guys is just it's kind of a death knell for their defense. So wouldn't surprise me if Lowry is kind of forced to guard Murray. And that could be an opportunity for Murray to really showcase just how much back he is. Get a 30 spot, get 20 shots up, go 12 of 20 from the field, 30 points, 5 assists. Feels like something that Murray could do against the Heat. They are going to probably do a lot of switching, but that will definitely help Nikola Jokic as well. Because who is going to switch onto Jokic if Bam is not guarding him? 
Lowry, Hero, Caleb Martin, Jimmy Butler, Max Struess? Probably not a good idea. You've got the magic. Markel Fultz, Jalen Suggs, Franz Wagner, Paolo Bencaro, and Wendell Carter Jr. A little bit different from last year's lineup where they had Cole Anthony as the starter. I think that Markel is going to be good enough that he's going to earn back that starting point guard position. And they could play Gary Harris at the shooting guard spot. But I do think that they're going to try to stay young. Keep developing the way that they should. And Jalen Suggs, he's got to figure some things out, but there's no way, zero way that he could be as bad as he was last year. So you get some good mix in there. And then Franz Wagner, Bancaro, and Wendell Carter Jr. That's a really talented front line. Six foot eight, six foot ten. I think Wendell Carter is six foot ten. But yeah, those guys are very, very good. And it wouldn't surprise me if Denver kind of struggled with that matchup a little bit this year. Off the bench, you've got Cole Anthony, Gary Harris, Terrence Ross, I guess, maybe Chumo Kiki, Jonathan Isaac coming back, and Mo Bamba. Not sure who is going to really guard who in this matchup other than Wendell Carter being on uh, Jokic. But I do think that MPJ versus Franz Wagner feels like a good matchup. Bancaro will probably be defended by Aaron Gordon. He's kind of that physical four. Probably don't want Michael Porter defending a guy like that. But that puts MPJ on Franz Wagner, who's kind of the, not antith- antithesis, but he's the, the six foot eight forward who's also tall, like MPJ, is also pretty skilled but it's more of the role player skills as opposed to MPJ, who's just the sniper, who's the absolute fire burner uh, from three, but also kind of from anywhere. It wouldn't surprise me if Franz got the better of him in some of those matchups where Franz gets 20 points, eight rebounds, four assists, two steals, two blocks, and then MPJ only gets 15 points in a matchup like that, but takes 15 shots. And if you get into that situation, then the Magic might have enough where they steal a game from Denver, even if the Nuggets are supposed to be better, even if the Nuggets are supposed to win both games. So don't sleep on the Magic. They have a lot of talent. They probably have the best young core in the NBA. And teams like that, they can surprise anybody at any given time. I'll wrap up with the Wizards here. Monte Morris, Bradley Beal. I have Denny Avdia as the starting small forward, but we'll see. Kyle Kuzma and Kristaps Porzingis. This is a matchup that Denver should dominate. Like, there should be no doubt that the Nuggets are scoring scoring at least 130 points against this team. Now they'll have to defend a little bit better than they usually do against a team like the Wizards because it does seem to me like Monte Morris can get to his spots. He can set up Porzingis pretty well. If Bradley Beal gets back to the player that he was, then he's putting up 30 against Denver. And then Kyle Kuzma always takes the matchup against MPJ pretty seriously. So it would not surprise me if he comes out and comes out firing. So could be a situation where those guys kind of 
between Beal, Kuzma, and Porzingis, where they combined for like 75, 80 points. And then Denver, they've got to match them blow for blow. You never want to get into a a shooting match with a team like that. You'd like to D them up. You'd like to slow them down. But I do think uh, the bench here, DeLon Wright, Will Barton, Corey Kispert, Rui Hachimura, Daniel Gafford. I feel like if you look at all those names, like everybody's pretty talented. Everybody's pretty good. I might be missing somebody on that team, and I might be, maybe I'm misconstruing what the rotation's going to look like, but everybody's pretty solid. The problem is that they don't have the top-end talent. Like, Beal is good, but he's not great. Porzingis is, well, good, I guess, but he's not great. So you get into those matchups and you assume that Jokic is going to win his. What if you've got the Monte Morris versus Jamal Murray matchup? Like, I don't think Beal is going to defend Jamal Murray. So I think you've probably got to have Morris on him. And if you have Morris on him, then Murray is going to have an opportunity to cook. No doubt in my mind. And if he does cook, that'll be a pretty fun matchup just should be should be interesting, should be entertaining for Nuggets fans. Those guys will go back and forth at each other. And I'm just going to look forward to what those battles are going to look like, even if they're pretty one-sided. Let's take another break. When we come back, we will wrap up with a short segment on Southeast superlatives, including some betting picks. We'll be right back. Final segment, pickaxe and roll. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Let's wrap up really quick with some Southeast superlatives. I did this for the Northeast, and I don't think I'm, I have all of them universal here, but I'll try to do this the, the same way going forward, and we'll just see how it works. Right now, I think the best team in the Southeast is going to be the Miami Heat. I don't think that there's any real competition for them either your competition is the Hornets. Actually, that's not true. The Hawks are going to give them a run. I do think that that is actually possible. Um, But if you look at some of these other teams, like the Charlotte Hornets, like the Washington Wizards, like the Orlando Magic, you've got teams that I think are all in the same tier, and they're probably about all nine or ten seeds at this point. And none of those guys are going to really push the top group. Of the Hawks and the Heat. And that's fine. Like, I think the Southeast is one of the worst divisions in the league, but somebody has to be worse. Like, it's probably not going to be any of the the divisions in the West. Although, actually, the Northwest isn't that great. But I do think the Southeast, not a great division overall, but the Heat pretty clearly have, have owned this division for a while. So we will see what it looks like with them. But I do think... They're probably the best team. Best player, still Jimmy Butler, although Trey Young, definitely lurking. Like he's shown some pretty solid skills, uh, being able to carry an entire team at various points. Now, his defense is definitely an issue, and it was a massive issue when facing off against the Heat during the first round of this last year's playoff. That was a pretty clear indication between those two players. Jimmy Butler and Trey Young, who was 
uh, the guy that you're you're really gonna bet on. Like Jimmy's definitely that guy. Trey Young, still somebody who I'd be a little bit concerned about. Best prospect, I think you probably have to go Paolo, Paolo Bancaro. Nobody else is really in that tier. I guess you could convince yourself that Lamelo Ball, still a prospect, still somebody who has a long way to go in terms of developing his entire game. Lamelo is very good, and it, it wouldn't surprise me if he becomes an All NBA caliber talent. But he does have a long way to go from a functional perspective. Like he does a lot of highlight stuff, he racks up a lot of numbers. There's no doubt about that. But I'm not sure his impact is what those impact stats are actually saying. Because the Hornets had to have a lot of functional pieces in place for him to be successful. Rozier has long been pretty good. Not great, but pretty good. Mason Plumley. I mean, I let's be honest. Like he, he wasn't great this last year, but they always have to have a pretty functional center next to Lamella Ball. I think a guy like Miles Bridges, who for obvious reasons I'm not going to talk about much, but he was giving them like 2,500 really good minutes last year and going back previously. So wouldn't surprise me if they fell off a little bit, even if you believe in Lamello. But Paolo, first overall pick, whatever he can be, I'm not really sure, but if he is like I, I, let's let's just be honest. I think he's an all NBA talent. I don't think he's going to be an MVP. I don't think he's going to be the best player on a championship team or anything like that. But I still don't know if Lamelo's going to be that. So we're just going to have to see. The most likely team to face Denver in the finals definitely the Heat. Although the Hawks are just kind of going through this, seeing what they have, what they're going to be working with. I wouldn't be surprised if they surprised a lot of people. They seem to me. The Hawks do, like a team that really struggled this last year with the the high expectations, and they didn't really realize just how difficult it was going to get after they made it to the Eastern Conference Finals back in 2021. So it wouldn't wouldn't surprise me if the Hawks really bounce back. John Collins goes back to being the third best player on a team as opposed to the second best player. Clint Capella has a good bounce back year. And DeAndre Hunter actually becomes more consistent because he wasn't consistent this last year. But I do think the Heat are still likely the team that Denver would face. I don't think any team from the Southeast is really going to represent in the NBA Finals because I don't think that they have a team that's in the top three of the conference right now. But if they did, it would be the Heat. And what they showed, like it's possible that they trade for a player like Donovan Mitchell. Possible that they trade for a player like Kevin Durant. Though I sincerely doubt it. If they were to do those things, this kind of changes everything up. Now, best awards picks. This one is really interesting. You could do Paolo for Rookie of the Year. You could do Nate McMillan. For coach of the year, you could do some odds on the Hornets getting the first overall pick in the draft next year. I don't think that they're actually going to, but would be interesting. But I think the one that's probably the best odds 
is Bam Adebayo for Defensive Player of the Year. He was probably the best defensive player in the league this last year, but he only played like 55 games or something like that and didn't have the full-on impact of an entire season and didn't have necessarily the, the media giants really backing him up like Marcus Smart did in, in Boston. I think that it's possible that if the Heat, if they're still a really strong defense next year, and Bam Adebayo is doing everything for them, then he could be a guy that really gets some shine. He could be a guy that really gets all the credit for that. Because you got to be a big man most of the time, but Bam is as versatile as you could possibly get as a big man. And if he does really break out in that regard, plays 2,500 minutes, has a big, massive role, for a team like the Heat, if he's still playing like a 20-point-per-game a player, then it wouldn't surprise me if he got some real looks. The Heat probably have to finish as a top-five defense in order to give him that credit. But if he does, if they do, then I could see that being a really good bet. So keep an eye on the BAM for Defensive Player of the Year bet. If it's good odds, I recommend doing that one. All right. That is going to do for this this episode of Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by Superbook Sports. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. I'll be back on Friday, likely talking with another guest. I think I might talk about video games. I think that seems like a good uh, place to go after talking about animals with Adam Mars this last week. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. We'll talk to you guys very soon. Thank you.